Welcome to the first cultivation episode here on Resonate Radio. I'm extremely excited to have Dr. Anna Schwabe here on the show, uh, along with Myrig Murray. Dr. Anna has a PhD in cannabis genetics. Myrig Murray is a master grower out in Canada, uh, doing great things in the industry, uh, both of them, to say the least. And uh, we get a chance to uh, sit here and discuss the very interesting large-scale cannabis industry as it is today and the interesting things that Dr. Anna has seen coming out of the educational world uh, in academia of cannabis and, you know, trying to understand what are some of the things uh, that should not be happening. Excited for everybody to hear this. And we'll start off with Dr. Anna and her introduction. Thank you so much. Hi, um, it's really nice. Thanks for having me today um, to correct your, everybody says my name differently. It's, it's, it's really common, but if, if the way I say it is like wasabi, swabi, um, but my dad, he says swabi, I mean, I guess it's still wrong with wasabi, whatever. Um, yeah, I have a, I have a PhD in cannabis. So um, yeah, my background is in population conservation genetics. That's what I did my master's in. And then I had, um, when Colorado legalized in 2012, I was working with a volunteer who was in the industry and we would talk in the lab about various things and stuff to do with cannabis because I've always been interested in cannabis. And um, he brought up some interesting questions, which I thought with my background in genetics would be pretty easy to answer and really interesting um, to look at. So basically investigative uh, research, looking at questions, mainly from consumers in the industry. So um, I started my PhD in 2015 and I graduated 2019. Um, and I ended up, it was supposed to be just a genetic st a study, which the first two chapters were full on genetics just looking at variation, genetic variation within and among strains and then the cannabis spec, what I call the cannabis spectrum. So, um, you know, everything from hemp to the other end. And then I ended up doing some smell stuff and some cannabinoid and terpene stuff. So it just ended up being um, a multifaceted approach to assessing variation in cannabis. So that's kind of um, where I landed. And now I'm really just interested in, um, still investigative stuff and still stuff from the consumer side, not just doing research for the sake of research or to, you know, like I'm not interested in sequencing the genome or creating, um, you know, genetically engineered plants or anything like that. I st still think there's a whole lot of questions out there that people are asking that haven't really been looked into. And, and I feel like that's mainly where we need to start. And then of course, just the basics of the plant. We're still not even there yet. And people are, you know, all over the board in cannabis. So, um, yeah, so that's what I do. Long story. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, not at all. I really appreciate that. Um, it's always interesting. I know, you know, people kind of get, and not kind of, I mean, we get excited when we hear PhD in cannabis. And then, I mean, for me, it's really exciting to figure out how you ended up getting there. So I really do appreciate you um, sharing that. So, 
you know, with having all that knowledge and then kind of, you know, seeing into the industry, as you probably noticed, it's a little bit different from the scholarly side versus going into these actual facilities and see what's going on. Uh, there's definitely, you know, as we're all aware of in the cultivation space, uh, there is this grow science uh, that has led to some pretty interesting things uh, that are happening inside of these grow rooms. So, I mean, you know, kind of starting off the top there, is there anything that you've really seen or one of the things that, you know, when you kind of left that scholastic side, the education side of it, you heard something from a grower and you were like, oh, this is going to be a battle. <laughs> I am definitely going uphill here. I mean, it's almost everything. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need a t-shirt for that. Yes. I don't want to complicate anything. I don't want to complicate anything, but it's almost every everything you know everybody has yeah you know, like one of my one of my things right now is everybody thinks faciation which i don't know it seems to be turning up more and more if you don't know what faciation is it's an abnormal growth pattern usually uh people notice in in, in the apical the flowers um and it's it creates it creates like a cresting um like an elongated flower along the top and it looks really weird and people are like oh that's a polypoid that's a polypoid and I'm like no it isn't um and just everybody just assumes it's a polypoid uh and faciation is really quite well it's not common it happens in a lot of different kinds of plants daisies sunflowers especially cacti um and it happens in cannabis too and it's really cool looking um and you can also have it in the stem so it can create like a flattened stem um, and it's just, it's just a mutation and in, there's not a lot of research on faciation. Um, we just know that it can be inherited. It can be a local mutation in the area. It can be due to chemicals or pests or pathogens. There's lots of different reasons that the plant just goes and starts growing weird. I guess it's kind of like, maybe like cancer, you know, there's a lot of different reasons that somebody might get cancer. It might be genetic. It might be something in the environment, a chemical, something so faciation is kind of like that, but it certainly doesn't double the number of chromosomes that you have uh, in your entire body. So that's just one thing that I battle on a daily basis. But I mean, it's just about everything where someone says, oh, you have to do this. So defoliation is another one. Do you do it? Do you not do it? The plants need to photosynthesize. If you remove all the leaves, how are they gonna do that? But if you have all these leaves, then they, they're spending all their energy growing leaves and not growing buds. So that's another one. So if I could jump on that one for a second, because that is a hot, a hot strategy, uh, let's say in some of these grow rooms uh, throughout the world, frankly, uh, you know, this certain uh, book that was produced about, you know, really just stripping everything off the plant uh, as far as the leaves are concerned. So from, you know, like you're, you know, and again, this is not the end all be all answer here, folks, let's put that out there. But from your background, and you know what you've seen, is there, is there actual science behind this method? Or are they just hitting it lucky? You know, maybe there's some other factors. That's always been my personal perspective is that, you know, I think that they hit it lucky. Uh, and there's a few other things that might be happening that are supporting the growth of the plant. But, you know, again, I'm just another random cultivator with not, you know, that honed in expertise. So what is your kind of opinion on that? I, I have a lot of opinions. <laughs> um, I think, I think that, you know, just saying yes, defoliate or don't is really black and like really 
um, I don't know, black and white. I feel like, okay, there's a difference between defoliation and trimming. And when you're, when you're growing inside, you know, you've got all these plants close together. You've got just a, I mean, literally a hothouse for bug and mildew and all kinds of issues that can pop up if you don't have the airflow um, and the space that you need in the, within the branches. So defoliation or trimming is a good idea to make sure that you know, you're not creating these micro habitats for things like, you know, pests or whatever to just go crazy. But then defoliation, I, I feel like that's that more extreme, like where you take all the leaves off. And I, I feel like that might be a mistake. I, I, there's really not been any research that I know of that's been published about this to actually take plants that are growing normal together naturally and then, you know, whether it being in a greenhouse versus outdoors and then do the, the trimming, the defoliation. And, and, and then on top of that, the timing of when you do it is really important. Like you can't just look at your plant and be like, oh, the buds are looking really, really great. I bet they would be better if I just rip all the leaves off. <laughs> it really matters where your plant is in its life cycle. Um, you can't just do it willy-nilly so I feel like this discussion has a lot of nuances that people just aren't I mean you know very very seasoned growers they know what they're talking about but talking to somebody who's newer who are listening to these growers they don't understand that there's a whole lot more to that than just defoliation yes um and you know that's what everybody says there's a lot more to it so that's those are some of my opinions I'm loving your opinions, loving them. I think they're quite on point. Yes, yeah, that's, uh, I, I never understood full, full de defoliation. Uh, personally, myself, I uh, only defoliate for uh, actually airflow uh, if the plant needs it, if the environment kind of, you know, calls for that, if the microclimates are kind of stacking inside the canopy, um, yeah. I, I, I really resonate with what you're saying. Yeah, and it's really, it's been interesting to see, yeah, the effects of it too. I mean, I had the opportunity to try it, so I did. And the funnier part is it actually scored one of the largest grams per square foot in the company's history. Um, and now talk about lucky, uh, really though. I mean, there were some other things that were at play that did that. So, you know, the other thing I realize is it's definitely another thing is cultivar specific. I mean, you might be able to do this situation with a certain cultivar, but I mean, I'm not going to be doing that to, uh, especially, you know, any of the, uh, you know, CBD dominant cultivars that I have to deal with in, in the rooms. Those act completely differently uh, than our THC dominant cultivars, I find. Um, you know, even just nutrition alone as well, never mind even the defoliation cultural practices that's happening. Um, even their ability to uptake food or their willingness to take up food during certain times when we're really used to on the THC dominant cultivars, they act completely differently. So uh, that's, you know, definitely one thing for everybody to kind of keep in mind. I just wanted to add, I think it's important to know, you know, there, uh, there are people that are like, well, I've, I've done a side-by-side -side test and the one that was defoliated was better. And the first question is, were they the exact same strain? Were they clones? The second question, or, you know, the other thing is, is two, a sample size of two is not, um, it really doesn't give you any information other than one was big and one wasn't. 
and even in the test that we were doing that I had the ability to, we were doing full tables of, you know, dozens of plants that were happening there. However, one of my main variables was the microclimates in there. Even though we had those three tables that were side by side, the variance on the data loggers did not uh, make me entirely too comfortable to, you know, make some pretty heavy, hard-hitting, you know, uh, conclusions with it. So I really appreciate you taking that point. You'd have to have a pretty, pretty big space and, uh, and a lot of plants in order to, to can, and a very controlled, um, you know, setup in order to really assess the situation. I mean, you could gather, you know, multiple years worth of data maybe and um, do it that way. But for the smaller grows, especially home grows, I don't think anybody... I mean, unless everybody got together and pulled their data or something, like I really, uh, if it works for you, I guess more power to you, but that, you know, like think about the nuances that go along with that, like um, when in the flowering cycle, how much, you know, did you, was it, was it just leaves or was it whole branches? That's the other thing. Um, there's just so many variables that go into it. And I feel like lots of people are using the term defoliation which means you know getting rid of all the foliage um, when they really should be saying trimming or or thinning so what they say traditionally as well as shoot selection instead of like when they take off the whole branches which i feel is trimming away because you are taking like you're trimming physical parts off the plant of it um so i think that's kind of like defoliation where you're taking off the leaves and then we've done the shoot selection where i think is the trimming delineation um is what you're speaking of but that's kind of some of the common terms that we've been using in canada as well um as we have that specific you know this one would be a defoliation event where it would be just taking leaves or the you know we'd say specifically shoot selection and uh, defoliation so instead of you know trimming uh, so I wanted to also, you know, kind of put that into, I don't know, Canadian terms, eh? Uh, so everybody can kind of <laughs> keep along with what we're, uh, you know, keeping from, because that's the other confusing thing. You know, there's 15 different names for, uh, you know, positions in the cannabis industry, and they all do the same thing, cultivation technician or a grow room operator, or, I mean, it goes on and on and on and on. It's just a little bit silly. So I appreciate you too, kind of having that candid conversation as well as you know hey some of the terms that we're using here are a little um, crazy and don't worry this is not the segue where I'm going to go into cultivar versus strain versus all don't worry that's going to be another time because we need to give that its rightful breath um, and I think in a public form as well because that one personally that one uh, is is the sticking point for me so the one that I wanted to move uh, too, though, and especially, you know, having my rig here with me is, uh, you know, conversation about genetic drift. Um, we were in a facility where it was 460,000 square feet. And so, you know, the volume of clones that we're doing uh, is a little bit higher uh, than some of the other facilities that are there. And so, you know, that was definitely one of the conversation that comes up. Um, I mean, the conversation comes up at 50,000 square foot, I mean, 10,000 square foot facilities. And so when people, you know, that's honestly one of the first questions that I get um, about the place, other than, you know, their eyes going through their head when I say, yeah, I was helping manage 38 different flower rooms. It was like, huh? And, you know, they kind of get that, you know, 280 lights per room. It becomes a little bit more of a managing task. So I like to really, you know, 
um, hear your thoughts about that whole kind of genetic drift debate. And uh, I'm gonna, just going to sit back and listen to you and Myrig uh, have a nice little conversation because I know this is swigging straight up the alley. <laughs> well, so again, I'm going to correct the terminology. Genetic drift is an evolutionary force, first of all, and you need recombination and multiple generations in order for genetic drift to occur. Genetic drift doesn't occur in cannabis when you're taking clones um, and when you're using feminized seed because you have no recombination really when you're, when you're, we have a little bit, um, but it not in an evolutionary sense and, and not giving it enough time for evolutionary, you know, uh, genetic drift to occur. So first of all, genetic drift, that's the wrong thing to say when we're talking about cannabis and genetics changing over time. Um, what that would be is just either, uh, what do I wanna say? Um, inbreeding depression, hybrid vigor, you could have um, some sort of, well, my theory is, you know, when you've got a mother plant and you're taking cuttings from her and, and, and cloning continuously, and you notice all of a sudden you're just not getting the same sort of clones or she goes south, something changes. I have a theory that it could be something in the epigenome that's changing because really you can't like once you are who you are, you can't change your DNA. It's there. Right. So but we have this thing called the epigenome, which allows especially plants to adapt to their environment um, very quickly because they can't get up and leave. You know, it's not like a herd of deer that can just leave because it's hot. Uh, they have to adapt, right? So the, what they have in their toolbox is ways to change their epigenome, which is, you know, a way to do a Hail Mary and, and potentially pass that on to the next generation. So when you're taking clones and the mother's stressed from getting cut, not a, I'm guessing it's not super pleasant. I'm not a plant, but I don't know. Um, she's going to go through some stress because she's getting branches lopped off, right? What, what does that stress do? We don't really know, but also those, those cuttings that you're taking, they, they are now their own little individual and they also are pretty stressed. They were attached to this other, you know, organism that was feeding and now they're all out on their own. They've got to grow some roots. They've got to, make their own flowers, um, which is pretty stressful. So they, they're they potentially changing their own epigenome as well to deal with the stress that they're going through. So you can have these clones that turn out quite different from their mother, uh, just purely due to stress. It's not that they're it's not that their genes changed. It's not that their the code of their DNA changed because that can't happen unless there's some sort of mutation. Even if there is a mutation, there is, these are not in germ cells. These are not in the sperm and the egg, which is how mutations get passed and how you know these things happen. If you have a mutation in one of your cells right now, the chances of that turning into some sort of something that you're gonna express is like nothing because you have millions of cells. One little mutation in one cell is not gonna do shit. So, um, so this, this difference in gene expression that we see in clones to me is something in the epigenome related to stress, potentially nothing to do with, uh, the code of, of the genome actually changing. Okay. I'm done now. <laughs> oh, 
it's uh, so, so refreshing. Loving this uh, so, so much. So I, I'd really love to um, kind of uh, tell an example in which, uh, and I totally, totally agree with you about uh, genetic drift is just kind of an overused term and it's not quite <laughs> accurate to, to what they're trying to portray. Um, so I worked at a facility and we did in-house breeding uh, consistently trying to up our own, um, uh, our own cultivar strains, whatever, whatnot, to, to increase their, um, resistance, uh, THC levels, CBD levels, whatever they were, they were trying to aim for. And, uh, <clears throat> kind of rare for a facility, um, uh, in Canada anyways, is that they had everything down pat. Um, there was a master schedule that went on for at least two years uh and it was very accurate we were able to meet it keep up with it uh very little overtime uh it was almost you know boring in a sense um but uh so anywho i was heading over to to top some some new veg plants and um this this was a concrete strain it was one that we were using or cultivar whatever um they were, uh, it was, it was one that was in our repertoire. We were offering it all the time. Uh, it had been through a couple breeding programs to enhance it. Um, and so I went into, uh, the bedroom for that was going to be supplied, uh, to the mother room that I was looking after to, to top them. And when I came in about 40%, 30 to 40% of the batch, uh, had actually, um, well, top themselves in a sense. They had abscess the the apical uh, um, uh, apical node there, the the, the meristem right at the top, and um, the branches were already like uh, pointing up, like heading up, and the the top hadn't died yet. Um, to, so at that point, I had flagged down the the master grower, and I was like, "This is this is odd." uh they they're topping themselves like which to me that kind of situation in the sense where we start seeing like where the plants are kind of behaving abnormally topping themselves uh kind of learning the schedule uh and something that i really want to stress is that we were so accurate with our master schedule that it was very consistent uh so it was like we, we if we scheduled you know a year and a half that we would be topping plants on this day, we would be topping plants on that day. Uh, and it just flowed that nicely. So is that, is that a sign of potential evolution or mutation or with the, well, at the risk of sounding, you know, dumb, is that essentially the plant learning the schedule? Um, I, 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 I'm hesitant to say learning the schedule or that plants can do this because it kind of gives the idea that plants have some sort of brain and that they're thinking about this, which isn't the case. However, no. epigenetic yeah. marks can do all sorts of crazy things and can pass on all kinds of information to that next generation, whether that be a clone, um, which would carry over epigenetic marks that you know the mother already has. Um, or, um, I mean, epigenetic marks can even be, can be carried over through multiple generations of seed um, and, and it happens in animals too. Um, so I don't, if we're, if we're, we, if we talk about people, you know, um, things that our grandmothers did can affect us now. So, you know, this is like a really hot topic of science. However, um, it's not a hot topic in plants. I think only 2% of epigenetic papers 
are about plants. And of that, some there, there's no papers on clonal organisms or clonal plants. And so, you know, we just don't know. But what I'm thinking is that, you know, if the whole point of, of the epigenome is to pass information on so that you can survive in whatever conditions you're getting thrown. So if you're having seed, hopefully those, because the whole, whole point is like this Hail Mary, like I need to adapt to these conditions. I'm gonna, and, and it's not like a thought process, like, oh, I need to methylate this part of the genome and demethylate this part of the genome so that I can upregulate this gene and downregulate this gene, although plants can do that. Um, it's more like, um, if you, if, so you, you, the plants do these so that potentially they have a better um, chance of a reaching um, reproduc reproduction, of reproducing. And so if they reach that stage and they aren't able to reproduce, whether that be clonal or through seed, those epigenetic marks that allowed them, you know, potentially allowed them to get there will then be passed on to the offspring because presumably those conditions when the offspring grows up will still be there. So you're talking about timing of topping or, or timing of your schedule. Um, we could talk about, you know, a desert organism, all of a sudden there's a wet year, um, which they're not used to. The plants that make it through that wet year and have offspring the next year, potentially that next year will be wet as well. And so those offspring that already have those epigenetic marks might have some sort of um, benefit over organisms that made it through, but didn't really uh, survive that. Maybe, you know, if that we're in the seed, um, the seed set in the soil from, you know, years before or whatever. So it's also thought to be, you know, the beginning of some sort of evolutionary ad adaption as well can be um, created with, with um, epigenetic changes because you're giving your offspring um, some it's like a better start because they've already got these marks that allow them to somehow uh, you know be better suited to their environment um so yeah i mean potentially that's that that could be what happened with your plants uh well thanks so much for answering i i yeah that's uh, that was sort of the gut feeling i had coming across it um uh, that that they just had picked up that they're going to lose that uh, apical meristem anyway that they might as well abscess it um yeah, <laughs> I mean, it worked out. It was less work. Oh, well, we ended up turfing the whole batch because uh, we just weren't sure what was going on with it. Um, now, uh, so kind of, kind of leading with that, like, should because um, a lot of most of the facilities is kind of doing like a mother and clone uh, repetitive kind of uh, uh, plan. Now, would you think that death should be kind of more incorporated in with the cannabis life cycle? So, should we renew like our mothers so instead of like taking clones off of a mom and we've been running that you know mom let's say for for six months but always taking a clone off of it replacing it with that and do that for let's say you know four years um would you what would you think about killing that mom right off and then starting it again from from seed or it, it does does the clones like if if we have a four-year-old mom and we take a clone off of that is that clone also still kind of not or a continuation of the mother and would also kind of be five years old in a sense do you know do you see what i'm trying to ask i mean yeah um I, I so i feel like this is going to be 
very plant specific. Some plants handle stress very well and some plants just don't, you know, there, there's plants that you can keep the mother for years. Um, I know a guy who, well, six years ago, he'd had it for 19 years. So, and it's the same mother that he's just kept in veg the whole time. Um, obviously that is a sturdy mom and it's not going anywhere. And she still produces really exactly what she produced 20 plus years ago. There are some mothers that will go one season and they're just done, you know, in the next time you try, it just isn't the same. And, you know, this is the other thing is that the changes in the, in the, in, in the genetic, in the phenotypes that you see are not always bad. They're just different. So you've chosen it for something and it's changed. So it could be that you've lost some of the terpenes, which is bad could be that you gained some or some different ones, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it is different. I think that's where everybody freaks out. Um, to your question, should you kill them? Um, I mean, I think, I think if you're, again, it depends on the mom, but I think if you're cloning something over and over again, um, there is always that potential to, to um, overstress and, and things go south. Uh, I feel like if you're taking clones of clones and clones of those clones and clones of those clones, I, I have a feeling that things can go bad faster. Um, so, I mean, you can always, you know, do, do your feminized seed um, thing and, and try and grow from seed. Uh, but I, I guess there's just no really great answer to that because it's, it's totally plant dependent, strain dependent, and you just kind of have to, uh, I don't know, just fuck around and find out. <laughs> oh, that's the definition of the cannabis industry at the moment, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Definitely. Definitely. Hopefully nope. we're done. It sounds like you guys write things down. <laughs> we're trying. Fuck <laughs> around, find out, write it down. <laughs> We are writing, yeah, writing things down. I don't know if you furiously, yeah, I know, uh, you know, everyone listening to the podcast uh, at home or in their cars or smoking a spliff, looking out their nice view uh, in the middle of nowhere, uh, can't see this, but I am writing things down. And I was actually going to ask a clarification because, you know, you mentioned there uh, right after your uh, wonderful rant against genetic drift, you mentioned two terms. There was inbred depression, possibly, and then there was hybrid something. What was that hybrid term that you used, please? Vigor. Those two terms have more to do with um, breeding, uh, cross-pollination, or, or, you know, back-crossing or feminization than they do with cloning. So hybrid vigor is when you cross two things and the offspring turn out better than either one of the parents. Um, inbreeding depression is where you cross two things that you thought were great and the offspring just kind of is not as good as either. Oh my God. Helen, yeah. Yeah. Like this is just the best part of everything. I mean, uh, I just <laughs> wait. People pay me money to learn these things. Yeah. Right. And like, that's just it is like, <laughs> yeah. I, uh really appreciate uh you know you coming through and spreading some of this stuff here because um there are a lot of fights in grow rooms with these just couple of questions that we asked you and there are people getting fired because of the things that you've said 
um, they're being told that they're crazy. Um, and just even like explaining some of these things to the people that make these decisions is also, you know, trying to tell these for, and some of these I feel are cannabis specific because I haven't found any other examples to really like back some of the stuff up with cannabis. So when you're explaining that to people in big agriculture, they just look at you like you're the stoner kid. They have no respect for you whatsoever. And, you know, I can't even get to the point to tell them that these opinions are not mine. They're of people that are way smarter than me and people that grow way better cannabis than you have ever grown in your life. That's where I learned this stuff from is from smarter people. It's not myself. I mean, I wish it was myself. I learn from good people and I do those things. So that's what I'm really hoping to leverage with your knowledge, you know, today is again, pass that on, keep going it through and make some of these breakthroughs in these grow rooms. Cause it's just a joke and people are not having their voice heard in the right space. Like this morning, one of the, uh, the um, conversations that I was heavily involved. Well, I actually, I, people were heavily involved in, I just couldn't deal this morning was variegation and tobacco mosaic virus. There is so much stuff on the internet telling people that variegation, this is what it looks like when your cannabis plant has tobacco mosaic virus. Here's what you have to do to get rid of the virus. Don't smoke cigarettes in your grow room. By the way, don't smoke cigarettes in your grow room, but for other reasons, um, and it's bad for you. Um, but tobacco mosaic virus does not affect cannabis. As far as I know, there's never even been a positive tobacco mosaic virus. There was one study published on it where they got it to get infected, but it didn't show any symptoms. Tobacco and cannabis are not closely related at all. And um, there are other viruses and viroids that are much more likely to infect cannabis than tobacco mosaic virus. But anything you see, some, you know, some sort of leaf with a modeled effect. I mean, ChemDog does this naturally. Naturally has a variegation in its leaf. Um, people freak out. Oh, it's tobacco mosaic virus. Kill it. And now you've just killed a perfectly good plant. There's cucumber mosaic virus that does affect cannabis. There's hops latent viroid, which does affect cannabis. And there's a few other ones that do affect cannabis, but they're not like tobacco mosaic virus, which is super virulent. It's very contagious. It'll kill your tomatoes. You can give it to your plants, not your cannabis plants, but your tomato plants by smoking around them, by you know touching after you've been smoking cigarettes, um, this sort of thing, um, really contagious. It's not in your cannabis plants. Like Yeah, I was, man, there was one place uh, I was definitely contracted out at for a little bit over the summertime. And this guy wanted to be the hero of the facility being a quote unquote master grower. And I'll never forget it. Like, I mean, and we can talk about whatever was in there, but you know, <clears throat> HLV, but I mean, you went in there and anytime it was any mutation, he'd grab that one leaf and be like, oh, fuck man, that's like TMV. We got to get this out of here. Like, that's why no one's smoking around the place. And it's just like, that's why you're an idiot inside of this place. And, you know, people don't bother to do any research. They think that if somebody says, oh my God, it's this fancy virus or this fancy viroid, they automatically just blindly trust them and then don't actually do the research behind it. There are so many websites on the internet that say, if your plant looks like this, it's tobacco mosaic virus. And I'm like, it's not. There is no test to back that up. Nobody, you know, they're just, they're just, 
parroting what they've heard before, what they've seen on the internet before. And I don't know how this got started, but it's not correct. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I've heard. There's a really um, smart person involved in IPM in the United States, and she's said the same thing. She's like, you know, I've heard of it, but there's not been an actual like positive test. Um, of it. And I know that was a little while ago, but, you know, ex like exactly echoing the same, you know, sentiments as you is that again, you know, it's just it's, show me a positive test and then let's go, let's then go there. I mean, it's for a test that is really easy to get done. I mean, there are a lot of, if you look at cannabis testing facilities, most of them don't even offer, offer tobacco mosaic virus testing. Right. Uh, you can take it to any plant pathogen lab and have it tested. It's going to come back negative. There are, you know, there's lots of crop testing places. You know, Eurofins is one where near where I was. They do, you know, sequencing tests, blah, blah, blah. Yes, you can get the test for tobacco mosaic virus very, very easily. And I'm sure absolutely positive that thousands of people have had their plants tested. Not still not one case of it. So it's just not a thing. I love it. And so there's that shout out to the next person who wants to put that sign up in their facility that says tobacco products. I mean, again, you know, don't smoke them for possibly health related reasons, but as far as TMV is concerned, like chill out. Smoke on your plants, you, you know, it's a particulate. It's just, I mean, it's not a good idea to smoke in, in a, what should be a clean environment. But, you know, we've all seen grows where they have dogs running around or cats in there or whatever, you know, I mean, just if you're trying to keep your environment clean and disease free, just no smoking, no pets. It's just smart, you know? And in our Health Canada regulated environments, that's one of the rules is of course, you can't smoke anywhere inside of the facilities, but there will be rules where the growers aren't allowed to consume tobacco products around the facility because they're worried about the transmission of TMV. And so, um, yeah, I wanted to make sure that, you know, alluding to that uh, specifically inside of these regulated facilities that, uh, yeah, everybody needs to kind of do a, a double think on that. So. Um, anyways, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, it's been a, a complete pleasure um, having you on the podcast. Uh, I cannot wait till we get to get into uh, a heated discussion, hopefully, because I think it's going to. There's some people that feel pretty fucking passionate about this whole string called divine debate. And uh, I mean, I even as myself, you know, and I know this is going to be hilarious because I already, you know, Obviously, I've done a little bit of asking about some things with, you know, you and your viewpoints. And well, for me, I went around one facility and if it was in the standard, standard operating procedure as anything but cultivar, I lost my mind and I tried to get them to change it to cultivar instead of another word. But that's where I add. So that's a nice little tease for everybody to move forward on because I know it's going to be a, a really interesting discussion and I'm extremely excited to have that. Uh, Anna, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to, you know, muddy through a little bit of this because like, you know, like we said, it has been crazy trying to muddy through this and, you know, we know that there's some truth to it, but now we know that there's some real truth to it. And uh, yeah, I'd like to thank you again for taking the time uh, to be with us on the Cannabis Maker podcast. Um, where can everybody find you? What, what, where can we obviously read more about what you're doing? I know your dissertation's out there. I scrolled to see how many pages of it. And I'm going to take it in chunks, but 
I am definitely going to get through it. So please tell the people that are listening, where do we learn more about you and hear more about you, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, I wanted to say thank you for having me. It's been really fun. I, I, you know, I love talking about cannabis and um, it's nice to hear people who agree with me because I got to tell you, imposter syndrome is a real thing. And the more you know, the more you realize you don't know and second guess everything you do know. So it's really nice to have some people who are like, you know what, you're right. (laughs) Cause I'm like, I am right. Um, but you can find me and all of my stuff. So it's, you know, links to my publications, my dissertation, some of my artwork is on there, um, other podcasts, um, media articles. So, uh, stuff, you know, when the media gets hold of my research, sometimes they like to write little stories. Um, it's all on my website and it's super easy. It's www.annaschwabi.com and links to my LinkedIn um, I think my Instagram and Facebook are also on that page. So you can find in my email and I don't know, my phone number is probably on. No, I don't know. <laughs> phone number's on there, but uh, my emails and stuff are on there too. So. And just because I mispronounce it for everybody at home, it's S C H W A B E and a Swabe. com. There we go. Swabe, Swabe. See, I'm, I'm trying. We'll get there. Look at, don't worry. See, this is the first time anyways, just a practice. I'll get it right for the second time. Don't worry. <laughs> anyways, also, Myrig, uh, thanks again for joining us from uh, Little Hole in the Wall, New Brunswick, Canada. Uh, it's always fun uh, to chat with you, man. I hope you got some of your answers. I know, I knew oh. you were going to ask her about the auto-topping, brother. I fucking knew it. I should have put money on it and took bets with Anna beforehand, but I didn't want to tip her off, but I knew that was going to be your question, Obi. I love it. <laughs> oh, Oh, that that had been bugging me for years, and uh, no one had had a had a confident answer, uh, uh, and or at least a, a confident answer that made sense. A reasonable right? answer. Well, people will, will put a lot of confidence in in, uh, but not the right answers. And uh, <laughs> I guarantee you that nobody ever went to Myrig and said what you said right away was, I actually don't know. No. <laughs> and that was coming from one of the most educated people in the fucking cannabis business. That's why we love you so much is because that was the first thing you said. You said, you know what, actually, I don't know, but I'm going to at least try and know. Everybody's like, I know it must be this. So you will listen to me. Yeah. So yeah, mad love and respect from the cannabis maker piece yeah. for that one. Yeah. You knocked it straight out of the park. So <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Wonderful. They're true to sign. And then, and then just for those listening, definitely check out her website because I'm a big fan of her uh, botanical illustrations, uh, especially the, the, the pinus cone. Um, my background is a boriculture, uh, so I love trees. And so that really hit home and, uh, the berries are very well done. Uh, particularly the, oh, but, oh my goodness, the, 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 the strawberry, the way that you, uh, you were able to show the lighting on them, I think. My personal favorite one is the tulip tree. And I forget the, the, the scientific name for that now, but the tulip tree. So that is like a full size sheet of paper. So like three feet by two and a half feet or however big that is, four feet by three feet, huge. It's all like, it's a white piece of paper. Everything on there is drawn. Like there's no tape on there. There's no, nothing like pinned onto the cork board is watercolor and everything else is colored pencil. So if you look at that and you're like, wow, that's her, like, um, you know, her pinup board, her storyboard or whatever you want to call it. It's not, that is actually one flat piece of paper with all that stuff drawn on it. That's my favorite piece. That is awesome. 
Awesome. I, uh, I love tulip trees. <laughs> I actually, I have, most of my cutting boards are made out of tulips. Um, but yeah, awesome. Awesome. So yeah, anybody that's listening, definitely go check that out. Botanical illustrations. If you like uh, plants in general, it's just something you should already be looking at. And, uh, and yeah, her website has some amazing. I love it. Shameless plug for the website. Good job. Margaret, <laughs> <a> boy. <laughs> anyway, with that, thanks again, everybody for joining us for another wonderful episode. We look forward to releasing more episodes like this. Stay tuned to our Instagram at Team Resonate and take a look at the website resonatewithus.media. We have a 420 clock so you can celebrate 420 all around the world. Thank you so much, everyone. We will see you all soon.